coaches have the opportunity to be real teachers in the classroom. They get to continue to do what they love every single day as they're planning with teachers and they're co-teaching with teachers. Like they get to do the work of a teacher every single day right alongside with somebody else. Hi, I'm Diane Sweeney and I'm the author of The Essential Guide for Student-Centered Coaching and our new book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance. And I'm Brandon Lewis and I'm an innovation and learning coach in Liberty, Missouri. And this is Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, where we sit down with coaches and teachers to explore how they are supporting student learning. Our hope is that through sharing these stories, we can all grow together. Like we have so many other times, we'd like to start um, each episode by talking to a teacher. And I know in the past that um, sometimes that's focused on um, what it's been like to teach during COVID or um, just something new that a teacher's been learning. Um, but this time we actually have uh, Sarah Blowers with us and she's actually going to talk a lot about what it's like for her working with a coach and how it has impacted her classroom. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sarah, do you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself, uh, maybe like your teaching experience and where you're located? Yeah, so I am going into my third year of teaching in the Fort Dodge Community School District in Iowa. Um, I taught fourth grade my first year. My second year, I moved to second grade. And then this third year, I'll be moving to kindergarten. So I've kind of jumped around within the building a, a little bit. Yeah, you're getting a lot of experience right off the bat. That's fantastic. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I might know the answer to this question then, but can you tell us a little bit about what was it that made you um, kind of willing to, to jump into working with a coach and into a coaching cycle at your building? Yeah, so we, um, in our building, we actually had two coaches and I heard a lot of great things about them. So at the beginning of the year, they sent out a Google form that said, if you're interested. And so I put my name in and actually our whole fourth grade team got signed up for one, which was a really great way for me to kind of understand what a coaching cycle was because I had no idea what it was going into it. Um, but after I did that one, I was like, when can I sign up for another one? <laughs> that's great. I think that's even, especially with your first year, that's even better that the rest of your team was willing to be, um, together working with a coach too. I know sometimes, sometimes that almost creates barriers within teams when certain people want to work with a coach and some might be a little more hesitant or resistant. So that's great that you had that experience your first year for sure. What benefits do you feel like you've seen? with yourself as a teacher because of the coaching that you've received? Um, I feel like I've always been relatively reflective in my teaching, but during coaching cycles, you're reflective without even realizing it. Because as for a student-centered coaching cycle, it's not all about the teacher, but you just find yourself thinking about it while you're doing it. And it's not something where you sit down with your coach and they're like, okay, well, you did this right, you did this wrong but it comes up on your own. You're talking about, well, the kids were kind of missing this. And all of a sudden in your head, you're like, well, I guess I could have brought that up and maybe next time I'll do this differently. So there were just these reflective moments that come out of nowhere and they're not forced. They're not 
pulled out. They just, they just kind of come up. So that was probably my favorite part is I just started thinking about what I was doing well and what I wasn't doing well and what could I change for the next time. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's not about what the teacher's doing, but it's based on the students and their evidence, right? Which is the power in this coaching model. So I love that you, even in your first cycle, were able to sift that out immediately um, and see that if I can take the student evidence um, and let that guide what I do and be reflective in that, um, that's fantastic to, as a first and then second year teacher for you to, to see the value in that already is, is great. My favorite part about working with the team in the coaching cycle, it was really cool to see everyone's evidence because you might see someone's evidence, all of a sudden their student scores are killing it. And you know, hey, what did you do differently? Because the other three of us maybe didn't see that growth or maybe I didn't show growth and the other three did, but it created such a kind of community within your team to ask those types of questions of what was working and what wasn't. Um, And you do that individually as well when you're on your own, but it was just kind of a cool benefit doing it with your team. So do you feel like after your cycle, especially the one that was with your entire team, do you feel like you guys took a lot of the the learnings um, from that partnership and was able to transfer it when the coach wasn't present anymore? Yeah, for sure. There was, um, so the one in fourth grade that I did, it was over a, it was a math cycle. And I mean, almost every unit after that, we were able to ask different questions. You know, are you, are your kids getting it? Are they not? What did you do differently? You know, it's just, it brought up conversations that maybe we didn't think of before and after they just came up, they were more natural to have. That's great. I feel like whenever I'm working um, with a teacher and their students, One thing, like when there's an extra person in the class, it kind of allows you obviously to be able to do more. But one thing I always think about is, is this going to be sustainable when I'm not there too? So I love that you guys were able to take those different pieces and transfer it um, into practice, even when the coach wasn't present. So that's great to hear. Um, I know that there are a lot of teachers and then for various reasons, sometimes they're still hesitant to, to partner with a coach. Um, if you were to have a conversation with someone, and I'm sure there are people in your building who are like this, if you were to have a conversation with a teacher who was still a little hesitant or resistant and was going to ask you about it, what would you say to them that would maybe get them to want to work with a coach? Well, first of all, our coach is just an amazing coach in general. So it was really easy because you almost just had to sell the person. Um, a lot of people are hesitant because they think that the coach is there to judge them, but the coach isn't there to do that. The coach is there to help you. So I usually just start by saying it made me more confident as a teacher because there was somebody there with you to kind of cheer you on when something was hard, but also for somebody to break down the evidence with you, to break down your assessments and the student work and, and that kind of thing. I, thought I learned that in college, but it wasn't until I was able to sit down with our coach to really learn why you're doing it and how to get the most out of it. I honestly didn't even know what coaching cycles really were. We, I don't remember talking about them in college. I don't know if I missed that day or what, but getting to see the breakdown of everything, um, unpacking a unit before it happens and setting up your goals and breaking them down into actual like lesson objectives, those kinds of things. 
but even co-teaching with someone, you just learn all these things because once you become a teacher, you don't really get to go watch teachers. You don't, you don't get to just take the day and go see what your other second grade teachers are doing or to go see what your other fourth grade teachers are doing. And coaching cycles are really a good way to make that happen and allow you to grow as a teacher while you're a teacher, which is really awesome. So I would definitely recommend these coaching cycles to anyone. I mean, it's awesome just to have another brain working with you. I feel like you need to give your coach a shout out. What is your coach's name? Uh, Jerry Thompson. She's awesome. Jerry sounds fantastic. So thank you, Jerry, for all your work you've done with Sarah. It's great to hear that after um, two years of teaching, you have already had uh, these great experiences. And it just makes me think of how fortunate your students are that you've had these first two years um, and all that they've learned. And with the time and effort that you're putting into their, um, to their learning and their education, I know they're grateful, their families are grateful. Thank you so much uh, for today. And the best of luck to you as you start year three. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. In this episode, we have the privilege of speaking with Kirsten Doble and Steph Anderson, and they are um, respectively the Director of Secondary Education and Director of Elementary Education in the Fort Dodge Community School District in Iowa. And that's a special place because that's where my father-in-law grew up, which I, I always love to think about him growing up in, in this amazing school district and place that supports kids. And these, coaches are getting an amazing amount of support in the Fort Dodge Community School District, thanks to Kirsten and Steph. It's just amazing. And so we get to hear all about that today. I also wanted to mention that the district has been doing a lot of really interesting work around um, priority standards and finding a systemic way to really get clear on standards, on which standards are have the most endurance, which standards are um, you know, fit into the curriculum in which place and really getting clear all the way to the teacher level around the standards-based work. And they contributed to our new book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance, and created um, some really useful resources for coaches and, and district leaders around developing priority standards. So thanks, you guys. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So you guys, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background, and kind of your role in the district? All right. So I am Steph Anderson. Um, like Diane said, I am the director of elementary education for the Fort Dodge Community School District. I started my teaching career as a first grade teacher, um, taught first grade for about six years, taught third grade, taught fourth grade, and then I moved into a principal role. Um, and I was a principal for 10 years, and now I'm in my district leadership role um, for the Fort Dodge schools. And Fort Dodge is a is considered an urban school within the state of Iowa. So we're one of the largest schools in the state of Iowa in the north central part of Iowa. I'm Kirsten Doble, the director of secondary education. I spent my career as a high school social studies teacher for 13 years, um, then served as an instructional coach in this district, great district of Fort Dodge, uh, for four years before moving into a central office, the, the role I'm in now. First of all, it's, it's nice to meet you, ladies. I feel like when we go back and forth through emails, setting stuff up, and I don't know them yet, I just it's just nice to see faces to the names. 
Um, could you guys go ahead and talk a little bit about the structure of coaching um, in Fort Dodge, just as far as like, you know, what does it look like as far as coaches per building, content wise, and all the above? Absolutely. So we do have about 3,700 students in our district um, split up between five elementary buildings, one early childhood center, four elementary buildings, one large comprehensive middle school and one large comprehensive high school. Um, we have in an ideal situation, 15 full-time full release instructional coaches. We have about six or seven typically in the elementary. Um, and then in our middle school and high school, in an ideal year, we have three instructional coaches each. In our smaller elementary buildings, we have one instructional coach that is assigned to those buildings, two in our larger elementaries, and then, like I said, ideally in our middle school and our high school, three. We've switched models um, over the course of how we've progressed in our coaching structure. In the elementary, we used to be divided by grade bands, so we might have a kindergarten coach and they'd go across buildings, but we really did find it to be really beneficial to be building specific so that those coaches could become part of the building to really build strong relationships with teachers and the administrators, and so now all across, they are building specific, um, the coaches are to each building. That's fantastic. Um, I, I would say that was a great switch you guys made. Um, just hearing from other coaches and the different structures that they have, um, like you said, it was, it's based on those relationships and they can develop those in much deeper ways based on that current structure. That's great. I'm also noticing, I think, I think our district has fewer coaches than anyone we've interviewed yet so far. So every time I ask that question, I'm always like, it's so frustrating personally, but yet I love hearing that there are so many districts that have so like the ratio is just higher of coach to teacher. And that makes me so happy. Um, so we could not do it without the teacher leadership and compensation grants at the state of Iowa. We have a tremendous amount of, of resources in the way of, of money uh, to spend, to be able to have those positions and all the resources to train our coaches. It, it, we wouldn't be able to do it without that. That's great. Yeah, the That's state great. of Iowa has a, has a nice history of investing in t building teacher leaders through funding directly to districts. So that's awesome. And both of you wear a lot of hats. That is, that is the, the life of a district level position. Can you tell us a little bit about how you you're the the part of your job i'm gonna definitely name it as a part of a job <laughs> of supporting the coaching team so these folks feeling like they have a support system how what does that look like when kirsten and i inherited the instructional coaching program about three years ago um, one thing that we really kept hearing from coaches was yeah we don't really know our is what we're doing being impactful and so one thing that we did collaboratively with coaches was to start to put together some measurable goals. Um, and, and in doing that, there was some angst with our coaches because they've, they've really kind of just been going with the flow. And I think what I'm doing, what I'm doing is working. Um, but then we really started to do some progress monitoring related to those goals. Um, and, and 
it's been instrumental in helping the coaches feel like what they're doing is being super impactful in both instructional practices and in student achievement data. Um, and they've been really proud and wanting to be transparent to grow the program. So when these goals are established, they are posting them on bulletin boards and on their walls and on their doors so that everybody else can see this is the type of impact that we're making. And so that other people will want to come on board with with instructional coaching throughout the school year. Um, Another thing that we do is Kirsten and I meet with the instructional coaches and the building level principals um, individually at each building. And we do that throughout the year and we utilize a consultancy protocol that um, when we were doing some consultation between um, uh, Leanna and, um, and Diane, um, we were able to really look at, okay, here's the goals and what does your progress individually within your building really look like? And what barriers are in the way and what successes can we celebrate? And we'll get into that a little bit later about the impact that that has had on kind of some of the, some of the things that we have been able to provide professional development on. But that was super impactful for us to really start to be transparent. And it's not a, it's not a gotcha, but it's more of a, how can we support you and how can we ensure that the coach and the administrator are working together to help build the program within the building? Um, another thing that we've done is um, we organize and attend the instructional coach PLCs. We usually do that monthly. And this is really, um, we, we start to analyze the results-based coaching tool um, where the coaches start to see Hmm, where do we have some holes and where do we have some things that we need to learn about? Um, you know, one of the things that we were looking specifically at was um, the instructional practices portion of, of the um, tool. And many of our coaches were like, geez, I just feel like I'm really weak on that. And so we could really dive into some different resources, reach out to Diane and say, okay, what should be on there? <laughs> you know, so that we could really have impactful conversations and learn from each other. Because we know that when we bring all those phenomenal educators into one room, that the answer is usually in the room, but sometimes there's just not a whole lot of confidence in, yeah, I think I might be doing it right, but Maybe not. So maybe we can look at some other resources. Um, another another protocol that we've utilized in the last two years have been coaching labs. And we, the first year, really just opened those up to our coaches just to kind of help them get a better understanding of what that looks like. And it really, it really opened up some doors for people to see that coaching can look different from different people and with different um, different teachers that they're engaging with, but it allowed almost like that fishbowl approach to here, I'm gonna do a coaching cycle, I'm gonna do a component of a coaching cycle, but you guys are gonna watch me. And at the end of that, we're gonna provide feedback to say, this is what we're really well. Here's some things that you might need to work on. And what was really cool about this was that at the end of this school year, even after a COVID year, at the end of the school year, um, Kirsten and I put out to coaches, hey, do you guys wanna continue that practice? And every single one of them responded with, even though it's really uncomfortable, yes, we need to continue to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, that just shows like the intentionality in the, in the decisions that we're making are making an impact on the type of learning that our coaches want to do day in and day out. 
Um, so that, that was super fun. And we've started to invite some of our principals into those where they can have a better idea of what does an actual coaching cycle look like so that they can then support that and entice other teachers to embrace some of those opportunities when they, they come along. We do do a co-evaluation um, between the between the, the coach, the principal, and Kirsten and myself. And we look, we look specifically at the rubric for student-centered coaching and really looking, looking at those student-centered coaching practices where the coaches are um, building goals around those. And we are giving feedback constantly about, okay, what, what is the progress around those goals? Um, and, and we really spend a lot of time just allocating resources as needed. You know, if we know that somebody has a special specialty in one certain area that somebody else can learn from, we want to make sure we provide those opportunities across the board. One thing I feel like was really impactful this year was we were really intentional about building the capacity of our principals and having um, planned and facilitated um, professional development related to student-centered coaching so that our principals knew this is my role in the coaching and the, and the coaches knew this was their role in the coaching and that we didn't, we didn't um, cross those barriers between the, between the two. And I feel like that was super impactful and they were able to spend, spend time together in celebrating the things that were going, going well. And then also thinking about, hmm, what could I replicate in my building next year that is working really well at this building. Stephanie, you you mentioned earlier that part of your guys' role in supporting coaches is that you meet with them and their admin. Did that start this year just because you guys started to dig into the role of the administrator, or is that something you guys have always done? Um, last year we did um, when Leanna was kind of teaching us about that protocol and how to how to have those conversations and really dig more deeply into the data. And then she kind of um, turned the reins over to us and said, hey, here's how you do it. Now you guys try it. And so, I mean, that was a great model for us, for Kirsten and I to think about how can we lead that process with our with our building leaders and with our coaches. So we just we just intentionally make time to do that. And that helps us determine, okay, what do we need to do at the district level to break down barriers? And what do we need to celebrate? Yeah, that's really good. I like that a lot. You know what stands out to me in all of, all of the, the layers of how you're supporting the coaches. So you're not thinking, we'll do a training, we'll do a two day training, and then they're gonna be fine, <laughs> which is oftentimes the starting point, but it's so layered. You have progress monitoring, you have the coach principal partnership, you have coaching labs, which is a process that takes the learning deeper. You have the school-based consultancies happening. Um, so all of that builds capacity and there's no coach in Fort Dodge who's gonna say, I'm not supported. And that's what breaks my heart is how often I hear that. I hear coaches say, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. And you mentioned Steph earlier, the, the question of confidence, right? We wanna know we're doing a good job. And so with, with the two of you being so intentional in how you're supporting the coaches, that's just a gift that is not to be underestimated. I think you make a really good point. I when you make the leap from a classroom teacher to an instructional coach, there, there's a piece of mourning there because from day to day, you are able to see how the decisions you've made, the decisions you've made as a teacher impact students. Not only do you miss kids, but I think you truly miss that, that direct 
ability to see the impact that you're making. And, and we felt that as an instructional coaching team. Um, and they verbalized it, um, maybe not exactly in those words, but when we started to implement goals and monitoring them, we didn't hear that as much. You know, we started to hear, oh, you know, this feels really good. Um, I can see that, you know, we're measuring student impact through an instructional coaching cycle. So I, I think it's an absolute must. I always think about too, like when I left the fifth grade classroom to become a coach, the thing I knew I was going to miss the most was just the deep level of the relationships with those kids. And it's still to this day, the thing I miss the most, but it's even more encouragement to get into deeper coaching cycles instead of the, the things that are maybe more teacher centered or more relationship driven, because when I am in that classroom with them, I am then starting to develop those relationships with those kids. So when I'm walking down the hallway and someone calls me out by name and I call them out by name too, whoever I'm with always, they always know like you must have spent a lot of time in that classroom with them. And that's kind of, I feel like that always kind of fuels my fire to make sure I'm in rooms too, is to be able to have those pieces that I, that I do miss since I'm not um, a classroom teacher anymore. I think that's the difference between the student centered coaching model and some of the other coaching models is that teachers have the opportunity and coaches have the opportunity to be real teachers in the classroom. They get to continue to do what they love every single day as they're planning with teachers and they're co-teaching with teachers. Like they get to do the work of a teacher every single day right alongside with somebody else. And I, I think that that, I think that that has made a huge difference in the buy-in that we've had with our instructional coaches as well. Yeah, I think that's perfectly said. I like that stuff. Moving to the student-centered coaching model was a game changer for our coaches. Great. Our teachers, I mean, it was almost like having a pseudo administrator in the past, sitting in the back of the room doing, you know, like doing a lot more observing of what's happening in the classroom. Now let's talk about what's happening in the classroom. Well, right now they're getting down and dirty with the work that teachers are doing every day. And teachers are noticing that and, and they're, they're respecting that. And it's about what kids are doing and achieving and not about what the teacher's doing and achieving. And while it seems like a simple shift, it, it in reality is a huge shift. So Kirsten, um, Steph hit on it a little bit um, with another question, but how do you guys measure your impact of coaching in Fort Dodge? Yeah, so we have really specific goals and we, we would like to share some of those goals with you for a couple of reasons. It will show the impact that we have had here in Fort Dodge and we're always willing to take some feedback on the quality of our goals. Um, but one of our goals had to do with setting goals for our coaches and how much of the real true work are you doing? And, and we have agreed as an instructional coaching team that a connected coaching cycle, the full cycle, is where, where the magic lies in getting student achievement to change. And so one of our first goals we set was we want every single one of our coaches to do at least 10 coaching cycles. And that may be more than any other goal we set. What made our coaches nervous um, prior to that, I mean, we had some coaches and, and I'll talk about it here and I'll just start with this last year we did 144 full coaching cycles in Fort Dodge. Um, and I don't have the exact numbers because we were so kind of nervous about our numbers that we wouldn't even share out 
um, by coach how many cycles they did. So the only data I have from the year prior to that is I can tell you that five of our coaches did between zero and three full connected coaching cycles. Two of our coaches had between four and six and five had between seven and 10. This year, I can tell you every single one of our instructional coaches, even our high school coaches, hit 10 full connected coaching cycles for a total of 144 across the district for the year. Um, and we had 13% of our teachers engage in instructional coaching cycles um, in the year previous. This year, we averaged 64% of our teachers. And so that right there was huge increase in number of connected coaching cycles, which I said is where the magic happens and the number and percent of our teachers who are engaging in that work. So I need to ask you then, cause that's a huge jump from two years ago to this past year. So I need to know why, like, why did that happen? So when Steph answered the question about what do we do, we do a lot of things. And so to say, what's the one thing that made that happen? I don't think there's one thing. I think the setting of the goals, we have phenomenal coaches who wanna be the best that they can possibly be. And they're working really hard to meet the goals. None of them wanna be the, the coach that didn't meet the goal. That's it. I think one of the, the biggest things was the learning for our administrators. And you had asked how long have we really had our administrators in the work of learning? And that is not something we have always done. Our coaches were able to get a lot of learning. They met weekly. They had a lot of philosophical discussions. And then it was almost like our administrators aren't on board. Well, of course they're not on board. They're never part of the conversation. So bringing them in in regular learning sessions with our instructional coaches, having them meet in buildings weekly together, admin coaches, planning professional development. I think that we have super strong administrators who now through those coaching labs and through learning understand the value and the benefit and they're out there selling it to teachers. Um, I think that we mentioned the importance of switching to the student-centered coaching model and they're sharing ideas. You can go to any one of our buildings, like I said, and see, see on the walls. Here's how many teachers are participating in coaching cycles. Here's the goals they've worked on. This is what student data looked like when we pre-tested. Here's what student data looked like when we post-tested. And if you are a teacher and you see that, there's no way coaching doesn't look good. I think there's so much of a, unfortunately, so much of a stigma of if you were working with a coach, there must be something wrong with you as a teacher. So the fact that teachers in Fort Dodge have taken that learner stance and are willing to throw it out there to be like the biggest advocate for coaching, I mean, that's, that's huge because coaches already have to advocate for themselves so much to get work. But if the teachers are doing that for them as well, I could, I'm that only is going to multiply it. So that's, I think that's incredible that the teachers are doing that, but it's because they see the benefits of it and they've lived it. And I think like even the, like Kirsten and I really work hard to ensure that every learning experience that our teachers engage in are within the inquiry, inquiry cycle. And they're really thinking about, okay, I'm going to plan for this. I'm going to get some knowledge about this. I'm going to collect some data. I'm going to implement. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to check and see how we did. And then I'm going to reflect on that. Like everything, everything goes back to that cycle, whether it's instructional coaching, whether it's PLC work, um, our professional development that's happening 
happening every day. Like th that's just our everyday function and how we do things. And so this is just one more piece of job embedded professional development. I have to ask the, the million dollar question because we are asked this all the time when we work with districts is it doesn't sound like things are confidential in Fort Dodge. It doesn't sound like who's getting coached is kept a big secret. Um, and tell us a little bit about your philosophy on what should or shouldn't be confidential and how that approach has supported you to grow the model. That, that's a shift we've made. If you'd have come talk to our coaches in year one or two of implementation, you would have heard that loud and clear. Um, there's a firewall between me and the administrator. We don't share information. Um, you know, switching to your model and hearing it come out of your mouth, Diane, <laughs> that it it's not, you you hide things that you're ashamed of. We're not ashamed of this work. Um, we just said we're going to make the shift. There's nothing to hide here. We're going to be transparent. We're going to explain to teachers that that's what it is. We're working together. We're growing. Our coaches are willing to be vulnerable. And if you're a teacher working with a coach who's going to be vulnerable and put themselves out there, uh, it becomes easier as a teacher to do that too. And I think to go along with that, um, like we want that, we want the learning that's happening during a coaching cycle to continue and, and the instructional practices that were, that were maybe tried or solidified during that instructional coaching um, cycle to continue. And so we do have some schools that are, you know, have coaching commitments that are up on the wall. So when a principal goes into that, into that room, Hey, here's what we worked on when we were together with a coach, here's what I want you to provide me feedback on to make sure that I'm going to continue those practices when the coach is not in the room. Yeah. yeah, and another practice we've leveraged is obviously all of our teachers work with their evaluators to, you know, do professional, independent professional development goals every year. And our administrators have really been intentional about offering instructional coaching as a way for them to implement their professional development plan and to provide evidence that they grew. And so when that is something that I now share as evidence, to my evaluator at the end of the year, that, that's just that's just open. Um, and we have had administrators say, I, I'm gonna, I wanna be part of this. I'm gonna sit in on as much of this cycle as I possibly can, whether it's co-planning, whether it's the co-teaching piece, what it's your reflective conversation. They've really just dove in and, and understood how important and valuable it can be in, in growth. That's so amazing. And knowing the two of you with that much data, right? 144 coaching cycles that were measured with the results-based coaching tool, which you are already referenced, 64% participation among teachers. I bet that's creating some learning for kind of what next, what's the next focus for professional learning for your coaches? What um, questions have surfaced as a result of all that data collection? So I would say as we start, as, as our coaches really started to analyze some of that data, like they initially were scared to death that they weren't going to reach the goal. And then when they reached the goal, then it was like, we had some that were like, oh, I think we can do way more than that. 
And then some that were like, okay, but what about a brand new coach that's coming in? Like, we want to make sure that we tailor the goal so that it's not like totally unachievable and unattainable for a new coach that's coming in. But we feel like we could do 14, but let's go with 12 just because we want to make sure that that a new coach could do this. Um, Another piece that, and they were really reflective when we analyzed these things. So um, they were disappointed that we only had 65% of our staff that um, replied to a survey that said, hey, um, when, when we're done with coaching, how impactful do you think that's gonna be on your instructional practices and what's happening in your classroom? We only had 65% of our staff that, that returned that. And so they were really intentional about saying, okay, next year, it's gonna be part of our reflective conversation. We wanna, we wanna have hundred percent. We wanna know how did they feel? Was, is it gonna be impactful? And are we going to be able to, to see that what we did made an impact in the classroom and it's gonna continue? Um, we also talked about, um, when we were looking at student growth, um, that we maybe didn't measure that the exact same way in every single one of our in every single one of our schools. So we really need to have a collective definition on how do we measure student growth? Because some people measured it from okay, if they made the if they made the um, benchmark at the beginning that we kept them and and didn't didn't count that as a growth. But some of them said, well, if they've already made it, they've already grown. So we we have to we have to solidify some of that. Um, another thing that we did that was really impactful for coaches was to really start to analyze our results-based coaching tool and really thinking about, okay, what trends do we see in here? Are there things that everybody's struggling with? Are there gaps that we're kind of leaving out? And then that we need to more specifically focus on the quality of cycles and not the quantity. Um, yes, we want everybody to be engaging in coaching cycles, but we also want to have quality cycles. So there, I mean, so one of our goals um, last year was to get 100% of our, our teachers engaging in coaching cycles. But then what we found was some of our coaches were like, okay, I'm dragging this teacher through a cycle and they don't want to do it. So is that worth the time that I'm investing right now? Or should I, could I be engaging with somebody who really wants to do another one? I love that you brought that up because my mind, when you guys have been talking about so much of this quantitative data, in my mind, I've been thinking like, I've, I feel like I focus almost too much on just qualitative to where it's like, how can I bring more of the quantitative into it? So I'm really happy you brought that up because I kept thinking about the people that like, are the coaches just trying to reach these numbers or what's the, what's the level of the coaching look like? So I, I love that you said that stuff. Yeah. And, and what kind of comes first? Um, do you work on quality of very, very little participation or do you maybe try to build some participation to, I don't know how you get better if you don't practice. And so we really wanted to try to, to up the experiences of our coaches so that they could practice. And Steph and I have always, you know, we set the goals and we said that there was some nervousness, but you know, we're not going to fire any of you if you don't get to 10 coaching cycles. Like that's not what this is about. This is about setting a goal and measuring, did we reach it? And if we didn't reach it, why didn't we reach it? What do we need to do to change? Um, and so just being reflective on that and how do we get them, they're learning too, that coaching is really hard, complex work. And there's a, there's a really big pressure to do it well, because if you, you know, you mess it up, you might not be able to work with that teacher again. 
that's the perception. That's probably not the reality because if you're you're truthful and you're saying, hey, I'm learning too, let's try this out, you're probably gonna fall forward if you do make a mistake. Um, but but that was that was important to to say, you know, these are goals, these are just goals, these are not performance metrics with which you're going to be evaluated and then you know retained or sent packing after if you don't don't get there. If I could just mention something and kind of underline it, because it's not been said, but it's definitely a part of this conversation, is that you two supporting and you also, to some degree, evaluate the coaches as well, correct? I think that's part of your role. So when people ask, who should be the one evaluating a coach? Is it the principal? Is it a district person? Obviously, it's going to be unique depending on the size of the district and the resource in the district. But I always say the person who understands the model the best needs to be the one supporting and evaluating coaches. If I'm evaluating a coach with a, with a mental model for coaching that isn't the actual framework we're trying to implement, it creates an enormous amount of confusion among coaches. Well, what's the right thing? What should I be doing? And usually it gets very superficial superficial and surface level. Well, just coach, go forth and coach. And are you, are people calling me and complaining about you? Well, then if not, you get a good rating, <laughs> you know, you get some of that. And so I love that you intimately understand what student-centered coaching is, what it looks like, how the tools are used. And then that is leveraged into setting goals, evaluating impact, um, and providing support. To give you another example of just how collaborative that process is for a year, two years, maybe we had a goal, you know, we've heard you say you should be spending 60% of your time in instructional coaching cycles. So we set a goal that 60% of their time would be spent in instructional coaching cycle. And that was one of the hardest, most time-consuming thing to collect data around and measure that we decided what we would learn from trying to, to measure that goal was not as important as the time it took to try to track it. So we said, you know what, we're measuring the percent of teachers that are engaging in the work. We are measuring the number of cycles that are being done in the district. That, that takes care of the frequency. Let's quit wasting our time and trying to track every minute of your day and how you're spending it. So we just said, we're, we're getting rid of that goal. In fact, I think mid-year, we're like, just stop, just stop. It's not worth our <laughs> we, time. We That's talk about going forward, like you just yeah, said. We talk about the same 60-40 rule on our team, but instead of like meticulously tracking it, we just do little self-reflective like calendar, like look at your calendar, and, you know, like we always make sure like if you're in a classroom, it's going to be the same color and you can kind of just get like a, you know, a synopsis looking at the month, like you can look at it right there and reflect on it instead of it being like a mathematically figuring it out. So you could do those quick little reflective calendar checks. And I think it might hit the same point home. And it's funny because no matter how many times we say the 60, 40 goal, it, we always frame it as don't count minutes, but, <laughs> but you are looking. And, and the reason we say that is it's about mostly being in coaching cycles. That's the message, but 
you are looking for a way to measure impact. So of course you're going to go to that as your, okay, well, that's something concrete. That's something tangible. Yeah. And I do, I love that this is kind of words of wisdom. Don't count minutes. Don't create this strange const construct where coaches have to turn in uh -huh. time at the end. And then somebody has to review that if they're turning it in, then it needs to be reviewed. Otherwise, why have them turn it in? So um, the idea that 60-40, just for our listeners to understand this, 60-40 is much more around an aspirational goal. Most of my time is in coaching cycles. The rest of my time is doing the other important work that I do. But the way you guys are measuring is what we would advocate for using the results-based coaching tool looking to see how broad-based is coaching in your schools, how are teachers engaging, and mostly, most importantly, what's the impact on student learning? How are kids growing? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that piece of it all? Yeah, the first year we set goals, um, we sh shot for, we wanted every time we did from pre to post that 80% of our students would have reached proficiency on the goal that we set at the beginning of the year. And we did measure that. And we felt that that was really important. You know, that's the measure of strong core instruction. It was somewhat disheartening that first year when we actually looked at the numbers. Um, we have a very high population of free and reduced lunch. Our traditional measures of achievement are lower than we would want them to be. Um, we, we have some challenges that we address in this school. And so we didn't do away with that goal because it's always a goal we're going to keep shooting for, but we added one because we wanted a, a little bit more to celebrate. So we started with just 80% of kids will be proficient at the end of the cycle. And, and we had a, quite a debate about, do we just measure growth and say, we want all kids to grow during a cycle? And we determined, nope, we wanna keep that goal of 80% of kids reaching proficiency, but let's add a goal of, we also wanna see growth. Um, because we can celebrate growth and we can see, you know, we might have started really low and we grew a lot. We want to be able to celebrate that, but we also want to keep that that goal of 80% proficient, you know, in that first core instruction pass through. So that's great because that creates the opportunity for, for celebration of all kids, which is that idea of collective efficacy. If I'm looking for growth, I can see that among all my students, no matter where they come in to school, um, no matter what schooling experience they've had. And, uh, and so the, it also connects a lot to the priority standards work you've done, which is that it's essential for a strong tier one and core curriculum as well. So I just want to connect back to that, how all those pieces are fitting together. So in kind of closing, any other thoughts you guys just have words of wisdom for our listeners who are I'm gonna just say many are really trying to be very um, intentional about implementing coaching and supporting coaching, making sure that coaches are successful. And oftentimes doing exactly what you did, which is shifting from kind of one approach to another. Any last thoughts you guys have? I think the biggest, the biggest thing that we did this year that had the most impact was really bringing our principals and administrators along so that they had the learning to be able to support and advocate for instructional coaching. Um, being really intentional about not only just 
digging into professional development resources, but also providing them opportunities to be able to see coaching in action through our coaching labs and, um, and like really reevaluating and progress monitoring the goals along the way so that they're a piece of that puzzle as well. You know, we, like, like we know that the coach is not there to give the pressure, the, the principal is there to give the pressure. So how does the coach support and how does the principal then provide the pressure that's needed in order to continue those practices? And so I think principals have to know what's happening and the work that's happening to be able to provide the pressure to be able to keep it going. Absolutely. Love that. Pressure and support. Pressure and support. I feel like I've been listening to what you guys have been saying and knowing that this new year is right around the corner. I feel like my mind has been swirling with the way I'm going to set my own goals for myself. Um, I like I really have been just kind of teetering back and forth between qualitative and quantitative this whole time you guys have been talking. And I'm really excited to kind of just reflect and dig into some of those thoughts about what this next year is gonna look like for myself when it comes to setting those goals. Um, and I'm excited to share some of these things from this conversation with my team as well. Um, so I just I just wanna thank you guys so much for your time. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in Iowa because of family and I feel like I just wanna come up and uh, just see it in action. I feel like I wanna sit on, on one of your guys' labs this next year maybe. I think it'd be a lot of fun. We'll send you the dates. We've got them all set, every single one of them. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for sharing your learning and your thinking and naming, naming your learning. That is a gift that is the whole point of this podcast is for folks to say, this was hard. This was scary. This wasn't easy, but it's worth it. So thank you for putting that, putting your thinking out there today. Student-centered coaching the podcast is brought to you by Diane Sweeney Consulting. For more information, visit dianesweeney.com. Music is brought to you by Clemency. You can check them out at clemencyonline.com. There you can find more information on how to download their music. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast where podcasts are found and follow us on Twitter at SC Coaching Pod.